0: Our scripture reading today is in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. That's Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. In the Pew Bible, that's page 196. And now, O Israel. What does the Lord your God require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the earth and and the heavens of heavens, and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt, and you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, And hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: What an incredible text. Uh, this morning, if I were to go to each of you and ask you, I'm certain you've probably heard it, and many of you maybe even have it hanging on the wall at your house, um, this famous saying from the book of Joshua, I choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, it's an incredible charge. It's almost a, uh, a battle cry, if you will, choose you this day. Uh, whom you will serve and our text this morning in Deuteronomy 10 is going to have a very similar call a very similar challenge for us this morning as you heard Wiley read uh, the text in verse 12 where we'll start today starts out with and now and so before we can get into the text we must ask what is that there for what is the and now for and now what um, so let's see, Let's to do that, understand where we've been, recap a little bit the last few weeks because that leads up to today and that's why the transition is there and now. Uh, we have to, to see what the end is there for. So uh, to remind you, if you haven't been with us in a while or if this is your first Sunday with us, we're walking through the book of Deuteronomy. And we've seen that the Israelites are now standing on the banks of the Jordan River. They're so ready to move into the land that God's given them. They can see the land. They can almost taste the honey that he's told them will be in the land. For these 40 years that they've been wandering in the wilderness, he's been promising them this land, and it's right there at their fingertips, except that there are two problems that they face. One, there's the Jordan River that they must figure out a way to get through or over or around. And then secondly, there are armies that are occupying the land that they're going to have to defeat. And these are two overwhelming obstacles. So before they cross the Jordan and engage these enemies, God's reminding them of a few things. Um, He gives to Moses this word that we call Deuteronomy, and it's Moses' farewell address. It's his final sermon to the people of Israel before they go into the land. It's the last time he will address them as their leader. And so he begins the first four chapters as a history lesson, reminding them where they've been together, reminding them of their sin, and at the same time of God's faithfulness. Then he moves in chapter 5 into principles that they should live by as God's children, stipulations of the covenant relationship that they have with God. And in that, those chapters that we've just recently studied, chapter 5 up through chapter 11, where we'll end today, there are general principles Uh, general stipulations that they should live by. Things like the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. We're learned to trust and obey the Lord. Chapter 6, we're commanded to love the Lord. That's a general principle. We love him with all that we are. Um, The Shema there in chapter 6. Chapter 7, we are met with who our identity should be in. We should be the children of God and that should transform the way we live. Uh, And so those are general principles. Last week in chapter 8 and 9, in the first part of chapter 10, we see the repetition of this phrase, remember the Lord, or uh, do not forget the Lord. Uh, He knows that as they move into the land, that will be the temptation for them, is to take their eyes off of the God that has um, brought them into the land. And so he calls them to remember. And then at the end of chapter 9, or really all of chapter 9, Uh, that we studied last week, God lists out for them, as he's called them to remember the Lord, he's also called them to remember their sin. And he lists out specifically where they were, what their offense was, and he calls to their attention their many numerous sins as a people. Most importantly, the the sin of making an idol, an image, a golden calf, that they didn't uh, only worship, but they ascribed to the calf, The ability, the power to bring them out of slavery, which we know reading the text, God Himself did. And so the audacity to give a figurine that they made by their own hands the credit for what God Himself did for them. And so we're met with that in chapter 9. And as chapter 10 begins, which we studied last week, we really are faced with this question what's going to become of Israel? Is God going to wipe them out for this idolatry, for this disobedience, for this worshiping of this golden calf? And then we get to chapter 10, verse 10, and it's this incredible statement where Moses says in chapter 10, verse 10, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. And then this incredible statement, and the Lord listened to me that time also, and the Lord was unwilling to destroy you. So in that, we see God's just reminded them of their sin, of their rebellion, of their waywardness. And then he tells them, though, I was unwilling to destroy you. As you are my children, as you are my people, it was not within my will to wipe you out, but to offer you salvation and forgiveness and mercy. And so we see that Israel's salvation, like ours, is completely unmerited. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to deserve it. And yet God forgives them and gives them salvation And so today, we're going to wrap up this section of general principles, getting through chapter 11, where we're seeing umbrella-type, large-type stipulations of the covenant, and then in chapter 12 next week, we'll move into a section that really is the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, 12 through 26, um, where there are very specific rules, very detailed instructions. What God does in the rest of the book of Deuteronomy through Moses is take the Ten Commandments and then go to elaborate details explaining them. And so we'll move a little faster once we get to chapter 12. I know you guys are thinking, man, it's going to take us 10 years to get through Deuteronomy. Uh, Matt's going so slow. But once we get to 12, we'll pick up speed a little bit. Uh, but this Sunday, we'll we'll finish up and see the end of these general principles. Um, and so the, the and now that you see there in the text is referring us back to what he's just told us. Now that you, Israel, have a fresh memory, a fresh recollection of your salvation, again, that you did not deserve because you were... Uh, completely rebellious, and we're worshiping these other gods, this idol that you've created, now that you see my salvation that I've given you, where do you move forward? What's next for us? And so I know the last few weeks we've had three-word points or three-word ideas that have guided us through these chapters of Deuteronomy, and I apologize, I could not figure out a three-word point for today, so instead I have three questions that will guide us through the text this morning. First question is this. What does God want? What does God want? Based on what we've just seen, Israel's salvation, their unmerited uh, grace that was upon their lives, upon them as a nation, what does God now want? The answer to that is faithfulness. Uh, Christopher Wright, in his commentary on this section of Scripture, says this, that Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22, which we just heard read for us, is unquestionably one of the richest texts in the Hebrew Bible. He says that there are not many dimensions of Old Testament theology that are not directly expressed or indirectly echoed in this mini symphony of faith and life. What's he saying there? He's saying this. You want to know what your Old Testament's about? You want an understanding of your, of your Old Testament? In summary, look to these verses because it really does encapsulate what God is saying to the Israelite people as they're moving into the land, what he's promised them, and what he's done for them. And so in these short 10 verses, we see that. And so the first question is, what then does God want? And that's faithfulness. Specifically, faithfulness to the covenant, to the relationship that he has offered them and made possible for them. Well, What does that faithfulness look like? Well, that's what this text will explain to us. We know that's where the text is going because, again, in verse 12, I'm not going to reread that whole section. You just heard it read for you. But you see this in verse 12. What does the Lord your God require of you? And so this morning, that should sound really familiar to you. That's the first point of our sermon. What does God want? And so I confess this morning, there's some unapologetic plagiarism going on. The first point in our sermon is directly from verse 12. It's not creative. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. What does God want? What does the Lord require of you, Moses says. And Moses in, this next, in these next few verses is going to boil all this down for us and make it as simple as possible. God wants faithfulness. What does that look like? Verse 12 and 13, five things we see in verse 12 and 13 that faithfulness looks like, what God is requiring of us. Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, walk in his ways. Number three, love him. Number four, serve him. And number five, keep his commandments. And commenting on this verse, again, Christopher Wright says that these five things really are like a musical chord And that when they're played together, they make a beautiful and harmonious sound to God. These five descriptions of faithfulness. When I was in the sixth grade, I begged my mom. I'd been taking piano lessons for about four or five years, and I begged mom to let me quit taking piano. You see, as a sixth grade boy, uh, I had a piano recital, and several of my friends were there watching their younger sisters. And (laughs) the uh, piano instructor made me play the song entitled bell the bashful butterfly and no sixth grade boy should ever have to play Bell the bashful butterfly in front of a room full of his peers, and I did, and it was incredibly embarrassing. And so I begged mom, "Please let me quit playing piano." And she said, "Okay, but if you're going to quit piano, you've got to play another instrument." And I said, "Well, let's let's get a guitar because that sounds really cool and you know rock and roll." And so first uh, uh, Christmas of sixth grade, I opened up my first guitar that she had, um, my mom and dad had, had gotten me for Christmas that year, and it's actually this one that Jesse plays this for us every Sunday, and. Uh, uh, and I was so excited to get it because it meant that I get to, I get to quit piano. And uh, I grabbed it and I opened it up out of the box and uh, strummed the strings and it sounded awful, just terrible. And then I thought, well, you know, on those you know, music videos of those rock stars, they have their fingers in like weird positions. So maybe if I do that and strum it, it'll sound a lot better. And it was worse. It was terrible. And you know it's terrible when even your own mom says, well, it looks like we're going to need to get you some lessons. Uh, not even a mom's biased ears could handle that. Racket. Um, well, why did it sound terrible? Well, it's because I had a tune, for one, I didn't know how to tune the thing, but two, I didn't know anything about playing chords. You see, in music theory, whether it's piano or guitar, there are certain notes that, when put together, they complement one another. They are harmonious, they sound good together, they sound full, and they make a, a rich sound that's pleasing to our ears, a sound that I knew nothing about making on guitar. And so we see these five commands in verses 12 and 13, and they are that to the Lord. They are harmonious. They are a beautiful chord that, when lived out together, we could call them our faithfulness chord. When lived out together, they're pleasing to Him. So let's look at them a little bit more in detail, real quickly. Fear the Lord. The text says this is talking about our reverence, our respect for the Lord, that we would revere Him. Do you have reverence for the Lord? Would somebody look at your life and say, that person reveres the Lord? They have an incredible respect for the Lord in their life. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know whether you're a wise person? You seek wisdom? You want to be someone that can offer wise counsel? Well, What does your reverence toward the Lord look like? Do you fear him? Number two, not only fear the Lord, but number two, walk in his ways. For Israel and for us today, this is the most comprehensive way to discuss uh, what ethics we should have and what way we should live our behavior as children of God. In the Hebrew, this idea would have just been the walking. Something as simple as, as walking that we do every day in, 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 in the way that we would walk with the Lord. Um, this is the way that the, the language is used for us, that we would walk faithfully with Him. Number three, not only fear the Lord and walk with him but love him this is reminding us of this principle that we've seen in chapter 6 in the shema that we're to love the lord with all our heart with all our soul and with all our might so not only we're we to fear him we're to love him we're to have our affections set upon him we desire to be around him we want to have fellowship with him we adore him and so yes his might his power his ability has us shaking in our boots we should fear the lord We should have respect and reverence for him, but at the same time, we're simultaneously infatuated with him because he's good. These two emotions, fear and love, should be constantly present in the life of the believer. Not only are we to fear him, number four, we're to serve him. The text says to serve him. This language is important. Remember where the Israelites were just prior to this. They were in the wilderness. Before that, they were in Egypt. They were slaves to Pharaoh and so the Lord here says serve him that, that they, they're, they're still slaves they're still servants but God has rescued them from an Egyptian slave master rescued them from Pharaoh just like he's rescued us from Satan and from sin and he's brought us out by his hand that we might be his servants which is an incredible thought that we get to be servants of the king of the universe the one who commands everything we get to be his servants And furthermore, not only that, he treats us, he's called us his sons and daughters instead of slaves, that we don't even rightfully deserve to be his servants, rightfully deserve to be his slaves, and yet he exchanges that language and calls us his sons and his daughters. That's an incredible thought, so we're to serve him. And then finally, we're to keep his commandments. Some of your translations may say, be careful to observe his commandments. And I actually like that language better here because it helps us to think through the idea a little more clearly. The idea here is that we would pay very close attention, observe, try to see if we're following him at all times. Daily asking God, God, am I keeping your commandments? Am I faithfully walking with you? That's why we read our Bibles daily so that we know his word. And we can ask, God, am I living out what you've commanded? So in your life... In your job, whether you're this week handling personnel issues or balancing budgets or maintaining a business or growing crops or teaching school or at home with your children, whatever life looks like for you, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to say, God, am I living, am I keeping your commandments in my context? And so all of this, he says in verse 13, is for your good. He doesn't just give us these rules to keep. He doesn't just give us these statutes, these principles to keep us out of trouble or to make life difficult or uh, to be a wet blanket and and crush all our fun. No, he says that these these five notes in this faithfulness chord are for our own good. So what does God want? He wants faithfulness. And we've seen these five traits of faithfulness in the text. But let's continue. Verse 14 through 19. Now for 14 through 19, verses 14 through 19, I need you to really uh, hone in and key in with me because this could be a little bit confusing, but I think it's beautiful if we take it together. Sometimes in the, in the Hebrew language we miss things uh, when we read it in our English language. It's not that we can't understand the meaning. God's communicated it to us in the English language and it's, it's truth and it's good and we can believe it and we can understand it, but sometimes we miss the, the beauty of it. If we don't see it in the Hebrew, and, um, and I'm certainly no Hebrew scholar, but I think there's one of those times in this text. It's like this. If you've been watching the, the finals, the NBA finals, and LeBron James could go up and, and, and lay, up, you know, lay up the ball, and it's two points. It makes them that much closer to winning the game. But he could also, on a fast break, take it and like, juggle it between his legs, behind his back, and then dunk it backwards. And we all go crazy because that's so much more stylish. It looks good. It gets us excited. And that's what's going on in the text here. We could just read it and understand it, and that's fine, that's good, it's word of life to us, but I would love to help us maybe see the, the beauty and the style in this. And so to do that, I need you to picture a mirror. Picture a mirror right behind verse 16, so that verses 14, 15, and 16 are on one side of the mirror, and then verses 17, 18, and 19 are the reflection, if that makes sense. In the Hebrew, it would would be a lot more clear because it would rhyme and it would have this beautiful symmetry to it. So let me help help you to see what I'm talking about here. In verses 14 and 17, again, mirror images of each other, we see how awesome God is. It's descriptions of how awesome he is. Verse 14, it compares God to creation. He owns it all. All of the heavens, all of the earth, it's all his. He's in charge of it. He owns it. And then you get to verse 17, again, still seeing how awesome he is, it compares God to kings and lords, and he's higher than all of them. He's higher than all kings, he's higher than all lords, he's higher than all gods. So we see how awesome he is. You move to the second set, verses 15 and verses 18. Not only do we to see how awesome God is, in these two verses we see what God does in both of them. Again, they're mirror images of each other. Verse 15, he chooses to love the Israelites' fathers, the Israelite people above all peoples, which is incredible. It's the same thing for the church today, that he would love his people, the bride, his church, when we don't deserve it. He chose to love their fathers. Then you get to verse 18, and again, the mirror image, it's again showing us what he does. He provides for the fatherless. He provides for the widow. He provides for the sojourner. So we've seen how awesome God is in the first two. We've seen what God does in the second two. And then you get to the third set, and you see in verses 16 and 19, again, mirror images of each other, what our response should be. Out of, out of response to how awesome he is and what he's done, what do we do? What does faithfulness look like? And again, this is getting to this point. What does God require? He requires faithfulness. Well, what does faithfulness look like? It looks like those five things we mentioned from verse 12 and 13, but it also looks like verse 16 and 19. Verse 16, circumcise your heart. We're not going to go into an anatomy lesson here, but this doesn't make literal sense. You don't have a foreskin on your heart. And yet he tells us to circumcise our heart. So what is he saying? What does he mean here? He's saying, don't be stubborn. Don't be stiff-necked. If you've ever had or known someone that, uh, that has had a neck injury, and they maybe had a surgery on their neck and had something fused, they have a stiff neck. And you see it, and, and they move like this, because they can't have this kind of motion. So it's like this. This is the exact opposite of what the text is saying. It's not this kind of movement. It's this kind of movement. God is saying, you're stiff-necked. You won't bow your head to me. You won't submit to my lordship. He's saying, don't do that. Circumcise your heart. Learn to submit to me as lord. That's what it looks like to be faithful. Bow your head to his lordship. Verse 19, again, a mirror image. What do we do out of response to how awesome he is and what he's done? We love the sojourner. Why? Because we were one. We were once that person that was far off, that didn't know God, that didn't have a relationship with God. And so we love the sojourner based on his love for those that are less than two, the widow and the orphan. We love the sojourner. So in addition to fearing the Lord, walking in the Lord's ways, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, and observing the Lord's commandments, those five that we see in verse 12 and 13, we're also told submit to his lordship. We're also told to care for those that are less fortunate, the outcasts. And in our context, that could look like a number of things. I'll let the Holy Spirit in this moment teach you that. In your small groups this week, talk through what that looks like. We don't have time for application for that this morning, but those are seven things that God says, this is what faithfulness looks like, and this is what I require of you. So have those discussions in your growth groups. But in the midst of, the midst of telling us what he expects, again, the question here, what does God require? What does God want? He wants our faithfulness. He gives us our motivation for that. And it's him. If you look back through this text just real quickly, you see that he's the owner of everything, yet he loves us. He's the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and yet he cares for widows and orphans and strangers. He's our praise, the text says. He is our God, the text says. He has done great and terrifying things. He has made them, Israel, as numerous as the sand is on the seashore. He's a promise-keeping God. And so he himself is the reason, the motivation for our faithfulness and our love. It's an incredible thought. So our first question, was, God want? Second question, as we move through the text, we'll get into chapter 11. They go together, chapter 10 and 11 go together, because they're really still giving us this question. And that's question number two, what will you choose? So if God wants faithfulness, what will you choose? Look at chapter 11, verse 1. You shall, therefore, love, your, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always, And consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not yet known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt and all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and the chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abram, uh, Abir, Abiram, son of Eliab, son of Reuben. How the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. So again, what will you choose we see in chapter 11 that it's a continuation of chapter 10. We know what the Lord wants. He wants faithfulness. And now faced with that decision, how will they, Israel, how will we, Poplar Spring Baptist Church, love, obey, serve, bow, serve the, the, those that are less fortunate? How will we hold up these faithfulness traits? And that's the question. And it really boils down to a question of, will you choose to love the Lord? Will you choose to love the Lord? What do I mean there? Well, friends, we choose to love people every day. We make that decision. We make that choice to love people every day. And the reason being is because everyone on this planet is sinful. Every person on this planet has committed sin, and so we have to choose to love them. And you know what I'm talking about. If you think about it for just a moment, think about even your own spouse, your husband or wife. You recall, you remember her good traits and her good characteristics, the things that you love about her, and you minimize the negative traits. You try to forget the fact that she burned the casserole last week, and it tasted really bad. You put it behind you that she did that. You remember the good times that you've had, the fun times, the times that you've enjoyed together. You even remember the trials and the struggles you've been through and the way that God worked in that and brought you together as a husband and wife closer through those dark days. You even remember that, even if for no other reason, you look back to the vows that you made before God and you choose to love that person because of God's faithfulness, because of the promise that you've made. And even if maybe sometimes subconsciously, we're choosing to love people. You choose to love your kids. Even though they're knuckleheaded sometimes and do crazy things and make complete messes and you've got to clean up after them all the time, you choose to love your kids. As believers, as the children of God, as those who are sons and daughters, we choose daily to love God. Let's be clear here. There's no way for us to love the Lord apart from His grace. The Bible is clear that we are and would remain enemies of God if not but for His grace. But as His sons and daughters, as those who are His children, we choose daily to love the Lord. But here's the difference. It's not as we love people that are sinners and we have to choose to love them because we look past their flaws or whatever. It's not like that with God. We don't choose to love him because of his sin. We choose to love God because we're sinners. He's perfect. He has a perfect will. He has a perfect plan. He has perfect desires. And we choose to love him because sometimes ours as sinful people doesn't align with his. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been here. You know what I mean. You've been angry with God. You've been bitter towards him. You lose a job or you lose a loved one or you contract a disease. You think, I don't want to love God. Where was he when that happened? What reason do I have for choosing to love the Lord? And Moses is going to say in this text, he's going to remind us this morning that we have an abundance of reasons to love the Lord. Moses says, if you want some, I'll give them to you. And if you continue through the text in chapter 11, we see them. Reasons from our past. Look at verse 2. Moses says, consider today. Well, consider what, Moses? (laughs) Look at verse 3 and 4. Consider that he has redeemed you. Israel, remember back to when you were slaves in Egypt. Remember back to how he brought you out of Egypt and slavery and bondage. Remember how he allowed you to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And not only that, but remember that when Pharaoh pursued you, he made those waters come over Pharaoh and his army and so that you didn't even have to lift a finger to fight for victory. He conquered Pharaoh in Egypt. He redeemed you, Israel, from slavery. So if you want to know what, to, what reasons you have for loving the Lord, for choosing to love God, think back to your past in the way that he's redeemed you. What about us this morning, friends? We have uh, reasons in our past as well. We have a place where redemption took place. As we look back on past, we see Calvary, a hill where our Savior bled and died on our behalf, making us sons and daughters as we were former slaves removing our guilt removing our shame and as we were yet sinners christ died for us he redeemed us from the curse of the law and if you want a reason to love god look to your past when you were in sin and he he brought you out of sin and slavery and made you his child so we see our redemption as we look to our past if you continue in the text verse five not only consider your redemption but consider that he sustained you he says this in verse five and remember what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. Well, what did God do? He sustained them. If you think back in their wilderness journey, he gave them manna from heaven. And then when they complained and belly ached and griped, he gave them quail. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them a cure for poison. He gave them a cloud and fire to guide them. He gave them sandals that did not wear out and feet that did not swell. Moses saying, can't you see it, Israel? God has sustained you. If you need a reason to choose to love the Lord, a reason to choose faithfulness, It's because he sustained you, Israel. Isn't this just like us? The Lord is so good to us and he provides for our needs. He's given us more than we ever deserve. And yet, the first time something doesn't work out the way we want it to, we go and blame God. We forget the goodness of God that he sustained us. We we, we complain and and gripe against the Lord, and we fail to realize that if not but for him, we wouldn't even have the breath in our lungs and the heartbeat in our chest. He is the one sustaining our every movement. Not only that, though, in verse 6, he doesn't just sustain us. He hasn't just redeemed us. Verse 6, consider that he's disciplined you. We talked about this last week, so we won't spend long here. It says this in verse 6, And remember what he did to Dathan, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all of Israel. If you go back and read this text, what's going on here, these individuals were putting themselves up against God. God says, all right, big boy, we'll come out of your tent. And you see what happens. A a divine earthquake swallows them up and everything that they have. Don't talking about church discipline. The Lord handles business. God disciplined Israel for a lack of obedience. We emphasized this last week. When we see discipline in our lives, when we're going through things that we know our sin has brought into our lives and we see the discipline that the Lord God is providing for us, we shouldn't sulk or complain or throw up our hands, but we should rejoice that the Lord loves us. He disciplines those that he loves. He wouldn't allow us to remain in filth and sin as no good parent would, but he disciplines us. So we notice these reasons from our past that we have to love the Lord, but notice as we see these reasons from our past to choose faithfulness, to choose love and choose obedience, notice though that it's not our own sheer determination. It's not our own merit. It's not our own efforts that does, that does this. What do I mean? Look in, the, look in the text. You see a theme here. You probably heard it as I read the text. Verse 3, deeds that he did. Verse 4, what he did to the army. Verse 4, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them. Verse 4, how the Lord has destroyed them. Verse 5, what he did to you in the wilderness. Verse 6, what he did to Dathan. And then you get to verse 7 and you get this summary of the entire thing. For your eyes have seen all the work of the Lord that he did. Friends, if you want to know our reason for looking to our past and seeing a way to love and choose faithfulness, you look no further than what he did. We bring nothing to the table but our own sin that needs forgiving. And he does this. He works, and we see him at work. And we have the only response, the only appropriate response is, Hey, Lord, I'm going to choose faithfulness. I'm going to choose love over all things because I've seen the way that you've worked in my life. So what reasons do we have for choosing to love the Lord? We have reasons from our past. If you continue in chapter 11, we have reasons from our future. Verse 8 through 12. Read with me in verse 8. You shall, therefore, keep the whole commandments that I command you today, that you may be strong, and go in and take possession of the land that you're going to possess. And that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that you're entering to take possession of it, is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables but the land that you're going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven a land that the Lord your God cares for and the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year and to the end of the year these verses are pushing Israel to think about their future. We talked about this last week a little bit, so we won't spend a long time here, but they're being told once again about this land and how good it is, and it pushes them to think about that land, and it motivates them to love and faithfulness. And the same should be the case for us. So we think about what awaits us in glory, what awaits us in an eternity with Christ in his presence. Without sin, without sickness, without disease, without death, it should motivate us for, to love and faithfulness. So I don't want to spend a long time there, but look at verse 8. I think there's something here that we should pick up that you may be strong the text says you ever thought about the way that, that, that our world perceives strength that those around us perceive strength for men it's often independence being strong-willed making it the own way for ourselves successfulness sheer determination and hard work for women it's often juggling all of the things that wives and mothers and women do and yet all the time being fit and active and I mean, just this week I saw a video on Facebook of a mom doing uh, chin-ups, like in her kitchen, and had two babies hanging onto each leg, and she was not only lifting her, but she was lifting the babies as part of her workout. And I'm thinking, couldn't you just put them down for a nap? It'd make it a lot easier. It'd It'd be a whole lot more enjoyable. But we have this idea of strength, that we just roll up our sleeves, grit and bear it, push through. What does the text say about strength? It says you want strength, verse 8, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And I know some of you hear that and you're thinking, yeah, Matt, but that's, uh, that's talking about spiritual strength. Well, is it? Continue in verse 8, that you may go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess. When they go into that land, they're going to be fighting real armies, real enemies, real battles with bloodshed and spears and knives. They're going to need strength, real physical strength. The Lord says, keep my commandments where do we find our strength? Where's mental strength, physical strength, spiritual strength? By walking with the Lord. It's by walking faithfully with him. So the Israelites have future reasons to love and follow the Lord. One is in that verse 12. And when they get into this land, it's a land that he will watch. It says from the first day of the year to the end of the year, 365 days, he's going to watch this land. You compare that to what we've been promised, the future that we've been promised. There's a land that awaits us as well. It's described for us in Revelation. And we see that it's not only a land that he'll watch day and night, 24-7. It's a land where he will reside. His presence and his fullness, his glory will be there. He won't just watch it. He will be among us. What an incredible promise and a reason that we should love the Lord. Let's continue, though. We have reasons from our past. We have reasons from our future. But we have also strong warnings for why we love and obey him. As we continue through the text in chapter 11, we really see that this is the heart of the issue, that more than Israel's enjoyment, more than Israel's redemption, more than than Israel's peace in the land, our pleasure as this land is fruitful, what we're really seeing here is that our faithfulness and our love for the Lord is about his glory. It's about the glory of the Lord. And we see how this is illustrated in the text, verse 16 and 17. It says this, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and, the, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Lord's saying here to Israel through Moses, don't be fooled, don't be duped, don't be deceived. There are other gods. When you go into this land, you're going to be confronted with Amorite gods and Canaanite gods, and they're going to claim power and authority and ability to do things, but don't be fooled. I am the true God. I am the only God that you should be worshiping and adoring. And he's just told them, I'm the God who will give you rain and crops and growth. Because here's what the Lord knows. Here's what's incredible about this text as he knows that as they move into this land across the Jordan, they're going to be confronted with Baal and Ashroth, gods that claim the same thing that God's saying here. They claim the ability of fertility and crops and rain. And God's saying here ahead of time, know in that moment that when you're tempted to follow them because of their claims, I'm the one that can actually do that. Isn't this good for us this morning that the Lord gives us his word before we go and make idiots of ourselves, before we go and sin and fall short of his glory? He's given us his word so we know what his commandments are. It's just for us to take up and read. So what's God saying to us? Most of us don't have jobs that require rainfall. Some of us do. So what he's saying to us in this text is know what fidelity to him looks like. Know what worship of him alone looks like and chase after him. Because there's going to be things in each of our lives, whether it's rain and crops or whether it's temptations that we're going to face that are going to want to lead us astray, that are going to pull us away from God. And sometimes these are even good things. They're just things where misplaced priorities can lead us astray. And God says in those moments, choose fidelity to me. Choose faithfulness to me. Verses 18 through 25, we're not going to handle because they're a, a, a repeat of the Shema. If you, if you read through 18 through 25, it should sound really familiar. because We covered it in chapter 6. So that leads us to verse 26 and our third question, and we're wrapping up. Where do these two options lead? That's our final question. So what does God want? He wants faithfulness. What will you choose? See it laid out there before you. Where do these two options lead Finally. Verse 26 through 32 basically summarizes this question. What are the two options lead to? What are the two alternatives? So let's read in verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you choose to obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. You see what Moses is doing. He's summarizing it as simple as he can. He's boiling it down for them as simple as he knows how. He's saying there are two options. There are two alternatives. There are two choices. Either obedience, which leads to blessing, or disobedience, which leads to curse. It's that simple, Israel. And you see in verse 29, as we continue, furthermore, this choice, this distinction, this option that you have is so imperative that you must decide. There's no room for apathy when it comes to this question, there's no fence straddling. There's no middle way. You can't be somewhere between obedience and disobedience. It's either obedience or disobedience. It's either blessing or curse. There's no middle ground. Look at verse 29. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set blessing on Mount Gerizim and curse on Mount Ebal. To help illustrate this, think back to when, I know this will be harder for some of us as it's been a lot longer, but think back to when you were on the playground as a kid and you're about to play dodgeball or kickball and you begin to pick teams, right? And so you have two team captains and you have the mass of people in the middle. And as you begin to pick teams, you say, Matt. Go to this side. Say Jesse. Go to this side. Say Wiley. Go to this side. See Steve Leonard. You go to this side. You begin to sort through these teams, right? And you have them on different places so that as the people in the middle are chosen, they go to these different sides, and it's clear you're on this team and you're on this team. And this is who's left that still need to be chosen. This is what's going on in our text this morning. Moses is moving. they're, They're moving into the land, and Moses is saying they need to be separated out. They need to be making this decision. And here's the two alternatives. There's team obedience, and there's team disobedience. There's team blessing, and there's team cursing. Instead of these uh, team captains, instead of there being a team captain for this team and a team captain for this team, or instead of Moses constructing some kind of monument and saying, hey, you guys that choose obedience, go stand by this monument over here. You guys that choose disobedience, you go stand by this monument over here. No, Moses looks around, and he sees the largest, most visible, most obvious thing that he can find, mountains. This Mount Gerizim can represent obedience. Now, Ebal, you're going to represent disobedience. And there's some comments from commentaries even as to the appearance of these mountains. One was barren with no trees, no fertility, no, nothing there, no vegetation. The other one was plentiful and rich. What he's doing, though, is he's making it clear. Today, Israel, you must decide. Choose this day says in verse 26, see, I'm setting before you blessing and curse. Those are the two options. So Israel today decide obedience or disobedience, blessing or curse. Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. It's that simple, Israel. And what does this mean for us this morning? Well, at first glance, that is terrible news. That's awful news because we would all realize this morning that we are over on Mount Ebal. We've all chosen disobedience. By birth and by choice, we are disobedient. We've all chose the curse. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Some of you don't even have to think very hard to when the last time was. Maybe it was this morning that you did something. You know immediately the Lord convicted you and said, That's sin. You're on Mount Ebal, you're disobedient. It's terrible news. Friends, that's not the end of the story, and that's not where the text ends for us. There's good news. There's gospel news. The gospel is that this is not the end of the story, but that Christ took our curse. Again, obedience, blessing, disobedience, curse. Christ took our curse. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might have, might receive the promised spirit through faith. Friends, Christ took our curse. We chose Mount Ebal. We chose the way of disobedience. We chose the curse. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all, when compared to God's standard of holiness, are not good. The Bible says there's none good. And Christ took our curse. That's the incredible news of the gospel. We were not left on Mount Abal. So maybe you're here today and you know for the first time, I've, I've chosen disobedience. I've chosen the, the way, the path that would lead to the curse. I know I'm a sinner. Here's how you should respond this morning. In a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, here's the call. Here's the invitation. Call upon Christ. Pray to him and say to him, Lord God, I know I've fallen short. I know I've chosen disobedience and your word clearly says that that leads to curse. And I don't want the curse. And I'm trusting you to forgive me of sins. I'm calling upon you to have my sins removed and have my debt forgiven. Place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. If you do that today, I would love to talk to you after the service and discuss what that looks like and discuss what a life of obedience looks like from this point forward as we sing believers in the room this morning look back on your past look to your future and this morning be resolved set upon your heart be resolved in your heart and in your soul to be faithful we won't do it perfect none of us will do it perfect but be resolved this morning to live for faithfulness live for the king this morning if you've never trusted him that's the call for you this morning call upon the name of christ so let's pray and then we'll sing Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that through your servant Moses, you've made it very clear to us. There's no fence to straddle. There's no middle way. God, it's obedience or curse, and we've all chosen the curse. God, we praise you this morning that you would not allow us to remain on the curse, but that you sent your own son, and he shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness. So God, help us this morning to be resolved to walk faithfully with you. Help us this morning to be resolved to love you when we don't understand why you would do things different than the way we do things. God, help us to see it's our sin that's affected our judgment and to trust you. Father, we love you. God, would you meet us in this moment and have it our praises. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.